when I think about what they just sang, Hope Has a Name, I want to pray that you would fill the choir and the orchestra and Brother Dale with hope like they've never had before. And not just that we're crossing our fingers and hope the musical goes well. Not that. The confident assurance that your word never returns void. The confident assurance that they are singing about someone who is real, someone who is powerful, someone who is sovereign, and someone who is merciful and compassionate towards sinners like us. I pray, Lord, that you would fill them with the hope that comes from knowing that the labors that we perform for the Lord are never in vain, the Bible says, because you don't forget them and you reward us for them. And you also have promised us, too, that maybe we don't see a harvest immediately, but it will come. And we thank you for all of that. So we pray for them, bless them, help them and Lord, we, we pray for them that their voices would be strong. We pray that their instruments would be in tune. We pray that they would get the chords and the rhythms and the tempos and all of that. And we pray that it would be a, a glorious and blessed event. But most of all, that the Holy Spirit would anoint the performance tonight so that we truly worship rather than just watch a performance. And we thank you for that opportunity that we have, Lord, because this is different than anything Hollywood could put on. This is different than anything that the world could do. These are the people of God worshiping a holy God that we just sang about, and we do it for your glory. And they can't match that. And so we pray you would bless. Now, Lord, there are other people here today who need hope as well. Grieving people, sick people, people that are discouraged people that are backslidden, people that are lost. Oh, Father, as the God of all hope, would you draw them to yourself? It says in the book of Titus, Lord Jesus, that you are the blessed hope. And I pray you would draw people to you, meet their needs, and show them your grace, your mercy, and your power, and your salvation. And we pray all of this for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so very much. I appreciate that. God bless you. Okay, and most of you are back at your seats. Let's take our Bibles. And uh, this, as far as I know, will be the last message out of this particular part of uh, John 4. We're still, uh, Jesus is still by the well, and he's still with the woman that's there. And so uh, we don't want to miss any of this. Because uh, Jesus ties all of this, and this is how we ended last week. It's interesting, he goes to Samaria, a place where Jews didn't normally go. He talks to a woman, and not only that, but it was a woman who had some moral problems and was shunned by the rest of her village, and yet Jesus is the one who reaches out to her. She doesn't speak to him first, he speaks to her. And uh, they get into this conversation and uh, it's all about the living water, which is a symbol for being born again, of course. And uh, then 
he ends it up by telling his disciples a story about a harvest. That seems strange to me. How, does, how do the two things go together? And I think that what he is doing, as much as this is uh, a tailor-made divine appointment for Christ and the woman at the well, it has something to say to his disciples who already know him. And most of you here today are saved people. You're followers of Christ. And so this would be pointed toward you as well. And as Jesus begins to show us this, the disciples show up. And I'm glad they didn't come earlier or they would have interrupted the conversation and probably messed everything up. But they came at just the right time. And the Bible tells us some things about them. And we're going to explain those a little bit more about how radical this whole thing was. But also how glorious and how powerful it was, and how it affected not just one woman's life, but it affected the entire village. But it not only affected a woman and a village, it also affected the disciples. And that message carries on today unto all of us. And we find that Jesus talks about the will of God, and he ties it to the harvest. Now, we think of the will of God. Who should I marry? What job should I take? Where should I live? Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? What, what is the will of God? Should I take that Sunday school class? What's the will of God? You know, the Bible puts it much simpler than that. The Bible says things like it's the will of God for you to be sanctified, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's the will of God in 1 Peter for you to suffer for his sake. It's the will of God in Ephesians chapter 5 for you to be spirit-filled. And um, all of those things, it's the will of God for you to give thanks in everything. And if we'll just do those, we don't have to worry about the rest. God will guide us because we're being led by him. But we stress out over all of the things that we don't know for sure, and we neglect to do the things that we really ought to do. And the Bible says, For him who knows to do good, the will of God, the revealed will of God in Scripture, and does it not, to him it is sin. So we're over here asking God for all of these other things. Why aren't I getting guidance? It's because we're not doing the things we've been commanded to do, and that's called sin. And as one person said, some people think that Christianity is just a religion of don'ts. And this person said there are far more do's in the Bible than there are don'ts. And if you'll get busy doing the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? But yet there's a lot to be said in that. And so we ignore these things. The will of God is the harvest. Look in John chapter 4. And we're going to go to verse 27 today. And at this point, after his conversation and all of that, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They thought it, they just didn't say it. You ever done that? And then it says in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot. That's interesting because that's the whole reason she came. The woman then left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, because the women probably wouldn't talk to her, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and they came to him. And in the meantime... His disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, 
eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples, they couldn't really grasp what he was saying. They said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Because it is aggravating when you go bring someone to eat and you find out somebody else fed them before you did. So you can get their point, except that they were missing the point, weren't they? Look at verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Praise God for that last line, to finish his work. And of course, he did that on the cross. Verse 35. And and look how he goes right into this. Uh, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and that he who reaps may rejoice together." For this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. I wonder who did labor. And others have labored and you have entered into their labors. In other words, it's all molded together and no one person, no one worker gets any kind of glory for anything that goes on. So what... What are we to understand about all of this? And point number one is this. When we think about the harvest and the will of God, this is something to marvel over. And I want to ask you a question. How long has it been since you've seen God do something that just made your jaw drop? That brought tears to your eyes? That brought joy to your soul? When is the last time you saw God do something that you just said, wow, and you marveled over? Well, start witnessing to people. And start getting involved in the harvest. Start telling people about Jesus. Do it intentionally. Don't just do it occasionally. Do it intentionally. Pray about it. Jesus said in another place, The fields are white, ready to be harvested. Pray the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's have a harvest mentality as a church and as individuals, as families. We ought to be thinking about the harvest because that's where we really marvel because the greatest miracle God ever does is when he saves a soul. And the disciples come back and they are marveling at Jesus as he is bringing in a harvest, as he is witnessing to this woman. And uh, they marvel about this because it says that he talked with a woman. In our culture, no big deal. In their culture, shocking. In their culture, who would do this? How could anyone do this? And yet they don't say anything about it. Because they probably have learned by this point, if you ask Jesus a question, you're going to get an answer. And if you ask him a question that is foolish, you're going to kind of get the foolishness of your thinking uh, brought back to you in the way that Jesus answered. So they just kind of keep it to themselves, but they're thinking it. Now, when we think about this, we need to understand Jesus is still at work today. And he's still going places that we are surprised that he goes to. He's still saving people that kind of shock us. And uh, we look at that and go, I never thought they would be saved. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that about someone. And yet, they get saved. 
And we look at other people and say, well, they're too far gone. They're too far beyond the pale. And there's no way that they would ever be saved. There's no point in even trying to witness to them. I don't think they would even listen to anything that I say. And yet Jesus is still saving people like that. Sometimes we look at people and we go, well, they're really religious and they're moral and they're good. They wouldn't be interested. They don't want to hear that they're a sinner. And yet Jesus is still saving people like that. And so in this situation... The disciples come up and they go, what in the world is going on here? And a lot of times, if you do become an intentional witness for Christ, you may be at a restaurant with some people and you talk to a waitress and say, we're Christians, we're going to pray over our food. How can we pray for you? You'd be surprised what they will tell you sometimes. Sometimes it's superficial and it doesn't mean anything. Other times they bear their soul to you. You never know. What is going to happen? You may leave a tract or something like that with your tip. And make sure you leave a good tip if you're going to leave a tract. And uh, your friends and other people with you, they maybe get a little uncomfortable. And they may be a little nervous about what you're doing. People are always going to be a little out of step with you if you're going to actually obey God and become a witness for Christ. But it's worth it. Now, they were shocked here because he was talking to a woman. Let me read you some things that I found. The uh, Jewish rabbis of that day despised women and uh, thought them unacceptable of receiving any real teaching. In fact, they just didn't educate women or young girls in the law. That was something only for boys and for men. In fact, the strictest of rabbis forbade a a rabbi to even greet a woman in public. And a rabbi might not even speak to his own wife or daughter or sister in a public place. Did you know that? There were even Pharisees who were called the, quote, bruised and bleeding Pharisees, unquote, because they shut their eyes when they saw a woman in the street and so walked into walls and houses. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's so out of step with what we think and who we are today. And uh, so women were not educated in that. In fact, um, a typical Jewish prayer in the morning, a morning blessing, uh, contained this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. Isn't that interesting? So, now, that certainly was not Jesus' view. And it's not the view of the Christian gospel or anything like that. But that was what everybody thought at that time. And you know how people are. They take something and if you give them an inch, they'll go a mile. So they run way further than this. So you can imagine the attitudes. You can imagine the abuse. You can imagine the humiliation of, of women that were every bit as smart, if not smarter than the men. And uh, the way... These men would treat their wives and other women in there. Just a a shameful, shameful thing. And so the disciples, that's the culture they had been raised in. That was the way that they thought. That's the way they had been taught in the synagogues. So can you imagine when they go and they run by a a sidecar and they go to the subway drive-thru and they come back with sandwiches and when they do, Jesus, this man that they have followed, this man that they believed to be the man sent from God as the Christ, 
is sitting there and he is in conversation with a woman. And not only that, she's a Samaritan woman. And not only is she a Samaritan woman, they didn't know this, but everybody else would. She was a Samaritan woman with a questionable moral background. What is he doing talking to her? Have you ever heard anybody say that about a fellow believer? What are they doing talking to that person? Well, you don't know what they're saying. Maybe they're witnessing. Everybody is supposed to hear the gospel. And this is something that just caused the disciples to be in shock. And they marveled at the whole thing. So, two questions. When is the last time have you ever marveled at the work of Christ and what he is doing because it is so out of the ordinary and so unexpected and touching someone you never expected to receive the gospel or have anything to do with Jesus? And number two, let me ask you this. When is the last time anybody has been shocked or marveled or maybe even been embarrassed by what you did because you were so intentional and you were so bold and you were so confident in what you were doing for Christ. So many times we're intimidated by everybody else. We shut down by everybody, by everybody else and what they think, but not Jesus. And even though they were thinking all of these things, Jesus did not let that hinder him one little bit. And that's the way we are to be as it comes to sharing our faith. And with the harvest, we're unintimidated, we're unashamed. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. And that's why the early church did so much and made such an impact with so little and I think that also is the answer to why we in this day and age do so little with so much. We're intimidated. We're afraid of what the culture would think. We're afraid of what people will think of us. We're afraid of what it'll cost us. We're afraid of all of those things. And we're a little bit embarrassed. And some people say, well, I've never been ashamed of Jesus, but I know he's been ashamed of me. And the truth of the matter is, probably you have been ashamed of Jesus. There have been times you should have spoken up. You knew you should have spoken up, but you didn't. And there were those times when it was just easier to talk about the weather, the football game, or something else. And you wanted to bring up Jesus, but instead you just talked about church. Or instead you just talked about some uh, politics or something like that. And we need to be bold when we speak about Jesus and it's something it ought to be a marvelous thing that we could ever witness to anybody a marvelous thing that we even know Jesus and yet the disciples like us they just missed the whole point of what was going on why is he interacting with a woman and a Samaritan woman at that and so uh, that was shocking to them but you know somebody else who was shocked in this story don't leave this out she was do you remember when uh, she first came to the well and Jesus is sitting there? It shocked her that Jesus said, give me a drink. Just a simple thing like that shocked her. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? What That just wasn't done. And we've got to cross over some of those cultural barriers in order to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did. And you think about the fact that the way he approached her with such kindness and concern and warmth, that was seen and that was felt and that was experienced by this unknown woman. And so uh, 
we look at all of this and the thing to marvel over is the revealing of Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus doesn't owe that to anyone. It's his mercy in which that he does that. She didn't discover him and she didn't say, you look familiar or there's something about you. You must be the Messiah. She never got that far because human flesh never can. Jesus has to be revealed and Jesus revealed himself unto her. In fact, we find that in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, that's quite a statement. But if you read it in the original language, in the Greek, it does contain most of those words, but there's particularly, in particular, two words that are put together. And uh, he says, uh, ego imi. Ego imi. That's a funny looking stuff that's on there. Ego imi. You know what that is literally in English? I am. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember Moses at the burning bush? Who shall I tell Pharaoh has sent me? And the Lord said, tell them that I am. Ego I me. And that's what Jesus said. This is another shocking statement as he reveals himself to her. And he basically uses the name of God to describe himself. The one who speaks to you, the one speaking to you, I am. And that was something that really got her attention. And uh, in this answer that Jesus gave in here, this was something where he was actually claiming, for those of you who say Jesus never claimed to be God, those people who say that have never read the New Testament, this is one where he is actually claiming to be God, and he uses the name of God given to Moses back in the book of Exodus. Ego Imi, and that is a powerful statement here. That's something that ought to cause everybody to marvel. Why would Jesus love us? Why would he reveal himself to us? Why would he come to this earth? Why would he die on the cross? Why would he suffer the wrath of God? Why would he do all of that for people like us? He should have just left us alone and let us just die and drift off into hell and the judgment of God forever. But he didn't because he's merciful, because he's loving, because he's compassionate. And when he looked at our situation, he came down and solved the problem for us himself in his own body as only God can do because the great I am, the ego I me of the heavens is the one that we worship and the one that we celebrate even at this Christmas time. Number two, when we think about the will of God and the harvest, then it's something to rejoice over. In those days, especially the agricultural nature of Israel and of everybody on earth in that time, whenever the harvest came in, they threw a party. They celebrated over that. It wasn't, just, oh, we had a bumper crop this year. Well, that's great. I mean, for most of us here today, it could be that we hear an ag report on the radio or something like that, and we don't even pay attention to it. These people paid attention to that because it was uh, really whether they lived or whether they died. When we think about the pilgrims that came from England on a horrific, horrific uh, ship uh, sailing uh, experience over the ocean it was horrible when you read about it and then they got here and they didn't know how to raise crops in the Massachusetts climate in which they lived it was different than back in England and they weren't sure what to do and they were starving to death and that's when uh, Samoset and Squanto both were able to help them and show them how to grow their food and their crops and in fact it's interesting that back then they would dig a hole 
And they would put a fish in it. That was the fertilizer. And then they put an entire ear of corn down in the ground. And then they would mound up the dirt around it. So their cornfield was literally uh, hills. Hills of corn. And you can imagine when that corn started sprouting, it came out like a bush. Just a whole lot of them. Not terribly efficient. But the law of sowing and reaping was the same back then just as it is today. We do it in different ways, but the same laws have to be in effect. And whenever they got through and whenever they had all of the food enough to sustain them through a winter, what did the pilgrims do? They had a party. That's what the first Thanksgiving was, giving thanks to God that he had given them a bountiful harvest. In all of that. Well, there was no different in the days of Jesus. Everybody understood that when harvest time came, if it was a good harvest, it was going to be time to eat. It was going to be time to party. It was going to be a time to feast. It was going to be a time to celebrate because these things don't always happen in these societies. They couldn't control. A hailstorm might come in and wipe out the entire crop right before you harvest it. Uh, different things could happen like that. And uh, maybe a fire comes through your grain field or something like that. And so uh, this was something that a harvest was something to rejoice over. Well, it's interesting when you read about this particular Samaritan harvest. It says that the woman got so excited she left her water pot. That's why she came. But it didn't matter anymore. And she goes into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And what did they do? They went out of the city to come to him. Normally they wouldn't leave their work. Normally they wouldn't leave their family. Normally they wouldn't leave their responsibilities. But this is something to celebrate. Could it be that the Christ, the promised Messiah, the anointed one of God, is actually in our town at one of our wells? And there he was. They were excited about all of this. And she left, of course, the water pot, as we've already said. And so she goes into town and she starts witnessing. What a strange way to witness. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And uh, they're all going, well, we already know that. We're, we're well aware of who you are. But this guy shouldn't have known any of that. And yet he did know. And at the same time, he was kind to her. And uh, it was amazing. So she left her water pot telling us that she intended to come back. And uh, understanding the truth about Christ makes us face the truth about ourselves. You see, she was going in to the city advertising her immorality, advertising her sin. Because there's something about being close to Jesus and hearing who he is that makes you keenly aware of your sin. I think most of you know my story. I walked an aisle and responded to an altar call when I was about 10 years old, but I had absolutely no recognition of my sin. No burden, no conviction, nothing like that at all. All I did was walk the aisle thinking, well, this will make them happy. And I wanted to please my family and the church and everyone else, but I had no concept of sin. But when I was born again at 22, I was burdened over my sin because when you get close to Jesus and the Spirit of God moves upon your life, you can't help but see who you are, dead in trespasses and sin, the Bible says. 
And the Bible says we're full of sin and we're under the judgment of God. And that if you are not saved today, the Bible says the wrath of God already abides on you. And you're not waiting to be condemned. The Bible says you're condemned already. But that great verse is in the midst of all of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because our Lord not only reveals sin, not just simply to condemn us, but in order that he might deliver us and that he might save us from our sin and from our shame. And so we find these people uh, through the Bible are the same way. They're confronted with Christ and their sin comes out. Think about the Apostle Peter. Peter was overwhelmed by his sinfulness in Luke chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. And they... uh, that's where the fish come in and Jesus preaches to people from the boat. And when he saw uh, boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and uh, they were washing their nets, they were done. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's or Peter's, Jesus asked him to put out a little way into the, uh, off from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So far, so good. Now listen to this. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, and this happens all the time, Jesus talks about one thing and everybody misunderstands it. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word I'll let down the nets. In other words, I'll show you. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking that's a big catch and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink but when Simon Peter saw it here's the point of this he fell down at Jesus knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord can you imagine You get close to Jesus, and all of a sudden, nobody has to convince you you're bad. Nobody has to convince you that you're a wretch. Nobody has to convince you that you are a sinner, because you see the holiness of God, and you see the sinfulness of your own life. It happened also to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord And as a result of seeing the Lord in chapter 6, verse 5, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He was a dead man. Then one of the seraphim, an angel, flew to him, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And when we think about that, we need to remember God is a kind and merciful God. A God who is willing to forgive sinners. A God who is excited to forgive sinners. And a God who rejoices when sinners are forgiven. Just like we said in the harvest, in an agricultural sense, when the harvest comes in, they throw a party. What did Jesus say? There's rejoicing 
in the presence of angels in heaven over one sinner that repents. They throw a party whenever the harvest comes in. So why don't we rejoice more about the harvest? Why aren't we more excited about being involved in the harvest? Why aren't we more obedient to God about being involved in the harvest? It's something that we could rejoice over because... We see ourselves in all of this too. Do we think we're better than the people out there that we need to witness to? Or do we see that we're a sinner like them and they're a sinner like us? And the only difference is the grace and the sacrifice of Christ. Tell other people about Jesus, whoever they may be. Number three, this harvest that is the will of God is something new to focus upon. Now, you notice here the disciples, they couldn't get over the fact that Jesus needed to eat. Jesus is hungry, Jesus is tired, that's why I said at the will, Rabbi, we'll go get you something to eat. They run into town, they bring it back, and when they come back, they're shocked that he's talking to this lady. There are people coming out of the village and coming to where they are, and all they can think about, instead of going, what's going on and how is this happening? What Tell us about this, Lord Jesus. They go, Rabbi, you need to eat. And when he answers them, I've got food. I've got food and energy and strength that comes from someplace you couldn't understand. And all they could think about is, did you give him something? Who brought him something to eat? After all, that was our job. That's what we were doing. And Jesus is talking about something that just went right over their head. Because they were focusing on the wrong thing. And Nicodemus did the same thing. Nicodemus, you must be born again. How in the world can I go back into my mother's womb? What are you talking about, right? When the woman, when Jesus says to her, you, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. Well, how can you give me a drink? You don't even have a water pot. It's 100 feet down to the water. Oh, but I have living water. And he who drinks of this will never thirst again. Well, give living water to me so I'll never be thirsty and I'll never have to come back to this stupid well. And they miss the whole point and the disciples were not much different and many times we're the same way we just don't understand what the Lord is really telling us and so they say rabbi eat he said I've had food that you don't know anything about so um, I want you to think about this that uh, they got a little bit ticked off while something glorious was happening. Isn't it amazing how easily we can get offended when God is doing a great work? Isn't it easy? Uh, uh, isn't it annoying sometimes with us how we can get so off track and distracted by something that doesn't really matter? So actually the disciples had the same problem that Nicodemus did and the woman at the well had because uh, their Jesus is doing something great and their focus is on the fleshly and the physical, not the spiritual. And Jesus said there's real satisfaction here. And what is the real satisfaction? Doing the will of the Father. And what does Jesus tie the will of the Father to? The harvest. The harvest. The witnessing and the testifying of Christ. You want real joy and real fulfillment in your life? Start being an intentional witness. You want to have strength and nourishment and power in your life? Start focusing on the will of God. Quit ignoring what he told you to do in the Great Commission and the command that uh, was given there. And we try to do everything but what he tells us to do. We'll have a fellowship and we'll have a something else and we'll do all of this and we'll do things with our family. All of those may be good, but not at the expense of ignoring what the Lord Jesus has told us to do. And so it went right over their head when Jesus said, My food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So there has to be in our lives a big shift from temporary things to the eternal. From our perspective to God's perspective. From pleasing ourselves and others to actually pleasing God. So by that standard, how pleasing is your life to God really? And how focused are you upon pleasing God? And does it matter to you? Because I'll say this, if it doesn't matter to you, you probably have never been born again. If it does matter, but it doesn't matter enough, you need to have a focus change and you need to get involved in what God is doing and see things from His perspective and not just your perspective. And no place is that more evident at Christmas. We say, oh, we want to celebrate the birth of Christ. Seriously, do we? What is it? How much does it take to derail you from being happy that a Savior came? Because I know in our house, anytime we put up lights, guaranteed they will work fine before you put them up. And after you put them up, what's going to happen? Does that ruin your Christmas? Well, I didn't have enough money to buy the presents I wanted to buy. Did that ruin your Christmas? Really? Well, I didn't have family and friends around and uh, I just didn't get to have the Christmas that I pictured and the Christmas that's in all of the movies. Really? Is that what it takes? And that's because we focus so much on the physical things we forget about the real things. And no wonder we are weak and anemic and hungry. No wonder we don't feel strength and power because we're not focused on the will of God. We're focused on all of the trappings but not the main thing. And number four, something to be encouraged about. What? Is that the harvest? It ought to make us happy that people are being saved. And if they're not being saved here, they're being saved somewhere. And if they're not being led to the Lord by us, they're being led to the Lord by somebody somewhere. And we get jealous. Well, how come this is happening to them and it's not happening to me? We've all felt that kind of stuff. What's going on here? Why isn't the Lord blessing and answering our prayers? Well, actually, the Lord is doing that, and He's bringing in the harvest of His people all over the world at all uh, different times and different places and using different people. That's not what we focus on. We should rejoice in it and be encouraged by it. If He can use that bozo over there, He can use me, right? And we ought to be engaged in it, saying, my job is simply to plant, to water, and then maybe if it pleases the Lord, to reap. Because there's not still four months until the harvest. The fields are white, ready to be harvested. This is something that needs to be happening now. And we work together and receive wages. And we're a team with the ones who plant and the ones who harvest and those who cultivate in between. This is just a big, big, big effort that's going on here. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. Other than the fact that we are to be faithful in doing what we're supposed to do. And this tells me something. It's not up to me and it's not up to you. If the fields are already white, ready to be harvested, and you're just now seeing it, then why are they ready to be harvested? Because somebody else did the work before you. We're a part of a team, and this is all ultimately the work of the Lord, and the Lord of the harvest rewards us for being involved in His harvest. We're a part of an eternal team and an eternal plan. And so here we are. God takes little old me and little old you and involves us in His eternal plan and purpose 
to save those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. That's how far back it goes. And he gives us his gospel and says, My gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that will believe, to the Jew first and to the Greek. So like Paul, we ought to be unashamed of the gospel, even though it's not politically correct, even though it's not something that the world is clamoring for, yet we still need to share it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, So then neither he who sows plants or he who waters uh, is anything but God who causes the growth. And that's the thing we've got to get focused on. It's not about the results. It's not about what you see. It's not about what you feel. It's about just being obedient to God. What are you going to do this Christmas season to share Jesus with people? Because the opportunities are boundless at this time of the year. How intentional are you going to be? Or is it going to be just about you? Is it going to be just about your decorations? Is it going to be just about your family? And that's why we push you to invite people to come tonight. This is not just about our church. It's not just about the choir. It's not just about the orchestra. This is about Christ. And people need to hear about Christ. This is a great opportunity to do it. Don't let it slip by you. We're going to have a service on Christmas Eve. It's Sunday this year, so it's a little bit easier. And a great opportunity to invite people to come with you who normally wouldn't come to church, but they'll come that night. We'll sing some Christmas carols, and there'll be candles and all that kind of stuff, and then there'll be a gospel message as well. It'll be a short service, but it'll be focused intently on who is Jesus and letting people know who he really is. Great way to share the faith with other people. You can give out gospel tracts. You can do all kinds of things, and you can do it easily this time of year. Because when I think about the harvest and I think about the incarnation, Christ coming and being uh, in, put in flesh for us, they're very similar in a lot of ways. Because in Jesus Christ and his coming to earth, that's something to marvel over. That was point number one. And it's certainly something, a reason um, that we should be happy, that we should be joyful, and that we should have our jaw drop. Why would God care? What is man that he would consider us and the son of man that he would visit us the psalmist asked well it's an amazing thing and so it's uh, something that should change our focus you know the world is caught up in so many different things but we see and know jesus he really should be the focus in fact, even when you get your family together, it's a great opportunity to share the gospel with them before you open your presence and talk about the gift that comes from God that is far more valuable and greater than any gift that you have under the tree. He came to be a sacrifice for sin. And uh, this is an amazing thing. And uh, so Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And so when I think about these things and I think about Jesus coming and why he came, here it is, bam, at a well in Samaria, talking to an immoral woman that made his disciples go, what in the world is going on here? And a village gets saved, and later we find out that they even say, you know, we believed when we first heard it from you, but now we've seen it for ourselves. 
And uh, man, this was an amazing thing. And it was blowing everybody's mind because that's what God does. The unexpected, he does it with or without us. He does that many times in spite of us like he did with the disciples because it's really not about us, is it? It's all about Jesus and it's all about the work that he is doing. So I want to challenge you today. If you've never been saved, my challenge to you is repent of your sins and find out what it means to be born again. You can ask somebody who is around you today. Uh, you can come and ask me after the service. I'll be happy to help you. But uh, it, it's, it's really important that you know the Lord and that you are saved from your sin. But the other thing too is, and this is for all the rest of you, what are you doing in the harvest? Are you planting are you watering? Do you even care? Do you even think about it? You need to shift your focus from the physical to the spiritual. And you need to shift your focus from yourself unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a difference that would make as we are salt and light in a lost and dying world during this season of the year that they celebrate and they know nothing about it and they understand absolutely nothing about it. That ought to burden our hearts. You probably know somebody who's lost. Does it burden your heart that they're going to hell without Christ? You probably think about the situation that we find with a, a lot of people that you see in society when you watch the news or when you read the newspaper or look on the internet. And oh, how can people be like that? It's because they're lost and they need to be saved. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we can't save anybody. You're right about that. But we can scatter the seed. Well, it won't do any good. You don't know that because some of the seed falls on the pathway. Some of the seed falls on stony ground. Some of the seed falls in weed infested ground. But some of it also falls on good soil and it bears fruit. And God grows beautiful plants in some strange soil sometime, right? So be involved in the will of God. Want to know the will of God? Want to live in the will of God? Want to be nourished by the will of God? Want to be fed by the will of God? Want to be empowered by the will of God? Then do what he told you to do. Do what he says the will of God is. The will of God is to do the word, do what the word of God says. And uh, the good news is when we think about Jesus, he said, I've come to do the will of my father and his work and to finish it. We can't finish it, but we don't need to. You know why? It's already been done. Jesus has finished it for us. And so, as we've said around here for a long time, go after it. It's rigged. And there are people that are made ready by the Holy Spirit to be witness to. Get in on it so you receive the reward of the laborer from the Lord of the harvest. Does that make sense? That's what we all ought to be doing. And it ought not be an occasional thing. It ought to be an intentional thing. May we pray together? Father, here we are at Christmas where we're celebrating Christ and His coming. And we tell the world in a judgmental tone, you need to put Christ in Christmas. And yet I wonder, why should they? We don't. And we tell other people, you need to be doing right and living right. And yet we, we fail to do what the very revealed will of God is to be involved in the harvest. So Lord, we come today not to ask you to forgive our nation or forgive the world. We come asking you to forgive us. Judgment must begin with the house of God. Where are we in terms of being a witness? Where are we in terms of being a laborer in the harvest? So we ask you, Lord, 
to send forth laborers into your harvest. And this is probably the easiest time of year to witness ever. And yet we're silent or we're caught up into other things. Please forgive us. And we pray that you would make us bold and make us joyful and make us to be kind and to do everything we do in love and to care about people and uh, be burdened for the loss, yes, but even more to be burdened about what you have commanded us to do. You have been so good to us. How dare we ignore what you say? Forgive us, cleanse us, change us, and focus us where our focus really needs to be. And may we really truly put Christ in Christmas, but not just in Christmas, but in every part of our lives that we would live for your glory all year round. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.